first reading is Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The second reading is from the book of John, chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, <clears throat> rivers of living water will flow from within them. Come to us now and fill us with your spirit, with all joy and peace in believing, in the name of Christ. Amen. It's a great promise. Right there in uh, John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, uh, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers, he says, not dribble, dribbles, rivers flowing from within them. Where has Scripture said this? Jesus said, Scripture said it. Where has Scripture said it? Back in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. They are eternal. Such a refreshing image. And in line with all the nourishing, succulent, healthy images used in Scripture to describe a person who... Being thirsty, drinks from God. Example, Isaiah 55. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Example, to people suffering in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. To the thirsty, Jesus said, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Or the psalmist, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. What does that mean? And how can I claim such a promise, especially if I am in a sun-scorched land? Today we begin a new series, a Lent series called The Verbs of Discipleship. Sounds exciting? 
grammar. Verbs of, ex- of discipleship in John's gospel. Why? Because we are seeking and praying for a deeper discipleship in the years to come, a deeper discipleship of Jesus Christ, deeper than last year and continuing in strength. As we learned from John Dixon in the last couple of weeks, the Greek word for disciple is the ordinary word for student or learner. I want to be a student of Jesus. I want to learn again from Jesus. And in John's gospel, the classroom is mostly outside and sometimes in dangerous places like, for example, Samaria. Look at John 4 verse 1 on page 8 of your orders of service. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, therefore a threat to the status quo, when in fact John and Jesus were never at odds with each other. It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So under threat, he left Judea in the south and went back once more to Galilee in the north. Now we're told he had to go through Sumeria. Now the disciples learn, will learn today's lesson after the fact. The disciples weren't there in this remarkable exchange between Jesus and this woman. In verse 8, we're told the disciples had gone into town to buy food. They're not there. And indeed, they'll arrive back at the climax when Jesus reveals his identity as Messiah to this woman in verse 27. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised not by all this dialogue, how could they know? They were just surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. So it's later that they will learn. They missed out, I love that. They will later learn probably from the woman and all the talk, and they will retell for us this gospel verb today, to drink. To drink living water. They're Jesus' words. And they're in verse 13, Jesus answered, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, I guarantee it. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. They're words from Jesus. And so to be a disciple then is to drink, amongst other things, living water. Now what does that mean? Our Lent series, and indeed our Easter series, is uh, verbs from discipleship. And basically we're looking at a a story, often involving a miracle, then a discourse, an explanation, often often involving an I am statement from Jesus, and then a thing to do at the back end of it. And so next week it's to eat bread from heaven, I am the bread, Jesus says. The following week is to hear his voice as the shepherd The week after that is to believe he is the resurrection and the life. And then to abide in him, uh, in the vine, in in him. To praise him, that's Palm Sunday. And then to love like him, which is Maundy Thursday. And then we'll move into um, uh, Easter series. A story each week, often an I am statement, and then a thing to do. So let's look at this chapter. Three things to say about living water in this chapter. Firstly, the water is a gift. It is a an ultimate gift, in verses 1 to 10. Secondly, the water is great, it's infinitely great, in verses 11 to 15. I'll explain why. 
And thirdly, the water is necessary for you and I as we go about ordinary domestic life. So firstly, uh, this water Jesus speaks of is a gift. Did you notice it? When it was read to you, freely given. What does Jesus say? Speaking about himself in the third person, which is, you know, normally frustrating. In verse 10, Jesus answers the woman. He's asked for a drink. Uh, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew it, this gift, and who it is that asked you for a drink, then you would have inversed the request. I asked you for water, but you'd have, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you'd have inversed them. You'd have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Now, what's going on in this text? Well, it's worth saying that Jesus is passing through non-kosher areas, and indeed in Samaria, smack there in what is now the West Bank. Of course, it's still there. Uh, You know, geography doesn't change that much. Uh, And in fact, if I was smarter at PowerPoint, I would have Google-earthed you down into Mount Gerizim, which is still there, and you can see the buildings and townships around the mountain. This is perhaps the journey that Jesus took He could have passed around the dangerous areas. The part in purple is Samaria, but instead he passes through it, and there's Mount Gerizim, where the well of Jacob is. He could have gone around. He went smack through the middle of it. Now, we're told a little bit about the Samaritans in verse 9. The narrator lets us know that Jews did not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus we're told, found a well, a famous well in the religious narrative of the Samaritans, who were sort of cousins rather than brothers of Jews and hated by them. We're told in verse 6, he found Jacob's well. Jesus tired from the, from the journey. I love that little piece of detail dropped in, humanity of Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus tired as he was from the journey. He sat down by the well. It was noon. Now, this well is quite possibly, and I check with John Dixon, you know, it's quite possible, he says, it's highly likely but not guaranteed that the, that the well is still there. Uh, covered now by an Orthodox church. Ironically, now you go to a place to worship God, I guess. But isn't it remarkable to think about the possibility of that well that Jesus sat by is still there? Although personally, uh, I have more certainty and uh, would have more joy at uh, Jacob's Well in Texas. Quite frankly, it looks more fun. It's noon and this woman comes to the well. It's noon, no time to pick up water in the Middle Eastern heat. Perhaps this woman is coming there when there's no one else around, some of her old friends perhaps, Maybe there's something shameful about her life. We're not told. Jesus asks her for a drink. He's thirsty. He asks for a drink in verse 7. Seven, the woman makes the obvious point. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Double whammy. So, given these two barriers, how can you ask me for a drink? Now, note that Jesus doesn't say, you're right. And together we'll dismantle systemic racism and sexism. 
as good as that might be, to do. But instead, and maybe this is what even those who are seeking to dismantle such systems need, Jesus offers her a gift to her heart. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have inversed things and asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, there are all sorts of costs in the world, as we know, and financial ones are only a part of it. In Jesus' world, there were costs then. For example, in verses 1 to 3, there were religious costs. The Pharisees hated Jesus, what he was doing, and they want their pound of flesh, and they'll get it in the end. I'll come to that. There are social costs to pay. There's your tribe, and there's other people's tribes, and you'll pay a price if you attempt to cross a social divide. There are gender costs in our world. And Jesus crosses that or pays that cost. The disciples are surprised to find him talking to a woman. They don't condemn him. They're just like, this is unusual. And you and I both know there are performance costs in work. We know that there's extraordinary costs in the pursuit of beauty and youth. Lots of costs in the world. But Jesus says to you and to me today in the power of his spirit, he says, the thing is, What I have for you is a gift. Did you notice that Jesus said that? If you knew the gift of God, he would have given you. It's a gift from God. Water, he says, that lives. It'll come across to him. We'll come to that in a moment. But the first thing you need to learn from Jesus in this passage is that whatever else Jesus is talking about, it is a gift. It is all of grace. The second thing to say uh, is that it's ultimately free, but secondly, the water is great. In fact, infinitely great. You see that in verses 11 to 15. He's going to say, it's eternal water. He's going to say, the one who drinks will never thirst again. Perhaps this is an understatement. The water is infinitely great, miraculously great. The greatest thing a person can have. I don't know about you, but I love water. And I've got to tell you, I love water the older I get. I don't know, when I was 17, did I drink water? I think I did. But I don't remember sort of like having to have it. I think it just sort of came down my throat in some sense. But as I get older and more parched, I'm like always thinking about water. All day, all night. I love it. And Jesus takes this very ordinary thing, getting water, pulling it from a well, pouring it from a tap, and he makes this extraordinary claim in verse 13, whoever drinks this water, right, will be thirsty again. I mean, I'm going to be drinking in exactly 13 minutes, 12 minutes. But whoever drinks the water I give them, there's that grace language again, will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It begs the question, what is this water? Where is this elixir that I may drink? By the way, it's worth just noting 
you know, in the 19th century in America, you've got that whole idea of in a fair will come in a person selling a magic elixir, but there's two things about that. One, it's always on sale. Someone's making a buck. And it's always about what? Hair loss. This is not that. I want this water that Jesus is talking about. Later we learn that the water is the gift of salvation promised of old. And with it, forgiveness and justification. It is the gift of eternal life, welling in, welling up. This gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 7, the presence of God alive in your life, sustaining you. If I can put it this way, in the same way the body needs water, the soul needs living water. Notice it's a gift from outside of you. You don't earn it. You don't muster it up. And to those who are thirsty, uh, welcome, by the way, to every person who is a recipient of the book of Revelation. To those who are thirsty. Not to those who are currently quenched. Any of you who feel dry. To those who are thirsty, the gift is from outside of you. You don't muster it up. You don't earn it. But it is given inside. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Such that Jesus says, you'll never thirst again. You say, what? I'm going to drink that in 11 minutes. I'm reminded of Jesus' comment to Mary and Martha. Oh, Martha, when Lazarus is dead, he who believes in me will never die. And yet we all go to the grave. Never thirst, and yet I'll drink water. So something more is going on here. I regularly thirst, so it can't be about this. But the woman thinks it's about this. In verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. I'm tired of this cumbersome activity, and I would love to have less cumbersome activities in my life. Amen? She doesn't want it, but she thinks it's about this. But it isn't about water. And Psalm 63, and indeed uh, Isaiah 55 are our clue. In Psalm 63, David's in the desert, afraid for his life, and he's thirsty because it's past land. And he says, did you notice it? He said, it's you I thirst for, God. You're the one I thirst for, not the water. And so you get God. God is the... One thing you need, like you need water. Third, the water is necessary in verses 16 to 30. In verse 15, the woman says, Sir, give me this water, I won't get thirsty, won't have to keep coming back here with this cumbersome activity. And then Jesus has what looks like a, a non-segue. He, he's got this gap in logic. Uh, Jesus touches her life. Jesus goes to her domestic arrangements touches in on her life. He knows her life. He knows her thirsts. So in this apparent clunky segue, in verse 16, he says, not, uh, here's the water, he says, go get your husband, go get your man, come back. And she says, she thinks about it for a second, uh, she's not married to the man she's living with, and so she says, I have no man, I've got no husband, uh, which is true, or semi-true, some information withheld, and Jesus knows it. He's omniscient, 
but is also exceptionally kind. Jesus said to her, you're right. I know it's true when you say you have no husband. You're not bound to a man at the moment. In fact, you've been bound or to five men. And the man that you're currently living with is you're not bound, you're not having, you haven't committed yourself to. So what you'll say then is quite true. So she's been bound five times, and you could argue cohabitating without marriage, the marriage commitment this time round. Maybe that's why she's at the well at midday. Now, we don't know why this woman has, has had six men. We're not told. But she appears thirsty for love. And quite frankly, who isn't? We were all thirsty. And you don't have to be, I'm not religious. You know, I'm spir- I'm not, I don't have to be spiritual to see it. Because it's not about this. It's about, well, it's about, not about love. It's not about significance at work or fame or, or money or sex. It's not about those desires that come no, so naturally to us. The Sydney Morning Herald gets the point that Jesus is getting at by going to her domestic arrangements before he gets on to talk about thirst. thirst. Look at this headline from the Sydney Morning Herald this week. Packer, we're told, will be parched as crowns dividend drought likely to drag on. James Packer is not about the conquest. It's not about the money. It's not about the proving yourself to a, a father and a grandfather before him. It was never about those things. I would love to sit down and speak to him if he would listen to me. Albert Camus, in one of his novels, has a character leading a wild life like the prodigal son, and the character explains why. He says, because I longed for eternal life. I had something embedded deep within me. Because I longed for eternal life, I went to bed with harlots and drank for nights on end. I slept in bliss, presumably because of the alcohol, but I woke awoke with the bitter taste of the mortal state. Frederick Buechner says this, the kingdom of God is what we, all of us, hunger for. Above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. And Jesus says, I'll give you living water. Jesus is the answer to our ultimate thirsts, even domestic ones, as the woman finds out. So, conclusion, three questions. Firstly, how do you drink? Where do you get this water? And why ought we to share this water with others? Firstly, how do you drink? And the answer is, you believe. Believing in Jesus, in John's gospel, is the thing a disciple does and will be a theme throughout Lent. You trust this one more than you trust yourself. And Psalm 63 gives you a hint, because your love is better than Life. The psalmist says to God, my lips will praise you. Your, your love is better than husbands. Your love is better than the Crown Casino. Your love is better than significance at work. Your love is better than approval. My lips will glorify you. You don't earn it. You don't receive it. That's what you do with a gift. That's why the prophet Isaiah says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's free. The woman says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. I believe that because, you know, I share that with, with the Jews. But when he comes, uh, he'll explain everything to us. He'll be our teacher. And Jesus, sitting there beside the well that day, he says, I, the one speaking with you, I am he. I am the world's Messiah. Jesus doesn't say here, I am the living water. I want him to say that. It would have been very poetic in John's gospel, which in my mind is proof he said it. John didn't try to make him fit a pattern. But here, he's the Messiah, God's appointed king, ushering in the kingdom of God, and he will give you the waters promised in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 58, Psalm 1, Psalm 63. He'll give you sustenance, revival, salvation. He'll give you his spirit. Jesus will give you God. That's how you drink, by faith. Secondly, where do you get this water? And the answer is not in the religious places you'd expect to find it. Like this woman articulates, Jesus has just peered into her personal life and avoiding the gaze of Jesus into her personal life. The woman does what lots of religious people do. They start a theological discussion to avoid the topic. She says in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. You know things about me. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, Gerizim, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is down south in Jerusalem. And Jesus will say, actually, Jerusalem is the place. You're wrong about Gerizim. Salvation comes from the Jews, from Jerusalem. But ultimately, he says, it won't come from here or there, but worship will be able to be done anywhere because it's in here. For drinking will be a matter of believing. It'll be an internal activity. It's an internal activity to yield to his will and to worship in spirit and truth because that's the worshiper that God approves of in verse 23. That's why in Isaiah 53, it's why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Living water in the end flowed from Jerusalem. For in Jerusalem, Jesus, or just outside Jerusalem, Jesus died on a bloody Roman cross to give me and you living water. Frederick Beekner wrote these words in, in his book, Beyond Words. He said, for nine months, we breathe it, water. The sight of water in oceans, rivers, and lakes is soothing to the spirit as almost nothing else is. To swim in water is to become weightless and untrammeled as in dreams. The wake of a ship, the falling of a cataract, and the tumbling of a brook can hold us spellbound for hours. And in times of drought, we feel as parched in our being as the lawn that crackles beneath our feet. Air is our element but water is our heart's delight, Beekler says. My flesh faint for thee, the psalmist sings, and in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Then Beekner takes a turn, second paragraph there, and among the last things that Jesus ever said, among the most human, were the words, I thirst. It is unmistakable 
Jesus went to the cross thirsty to quench my thirst for him. Especially, especially since he knows I've been trying to dig in other places. Jeremiah chapter 2. Thanks, Rob, for explaining that to us earlier. Hoping to satisfy my desires, my way, in wells and springs that cannot hold water. Some of you might say, I've forsaken true water, God, but Jesus thirsted to give me living water, his spirit. Why do we share this water? The answer is it's too good to keep. Imagine having a vaccine for the virus and not sharing it. She shares this truth. She becomes an evangelist, verse 28, leaving her water jar there, right? Dropping everything right now. Maybe that's true for you in your heart. The woman went back to the town and filled the city with Christ's teaching. She said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? The life of Jesus, of course, every Tuesday in March is answering that question. Come and see a man who could be the Messiah. Why not bring a friend? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him to see the life of Jesus. We love the idea of mission in the church and some feedback when I did the NCLS survey was that mission seemed miss- missing in our, the answers you gave to us. In fact, 27% of us find it hard to talk about our faith in ordinary language. But Jesus gives you ordinary language. How about this? I believe in Jesus like I drink water. There, I gave it to you. You've become an evangelist. I believe in Jesus like I drink water. He gives me life. I love how this woman has an impact. And may we have the same impact in drinking and sharing his life. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Let's pray. Got an old hymn, and I want to read it to you as a prayer. It's Ratio Bono. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water. Thirsty ones stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Amen.